I'm Elizabeth Vincentilli. I write for The New York Times and The New Yorker. I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. Uh, welcome to this unexpected uh, extra edition of Three on the Isle, a podcast that we record from New York, hosted by American Theater Magazine. Uh, Elizabeth and I, with Erica Wong, our producer, uh, have gotten back together today uh, because something shocking and horrific has happened uh, that many of you will already know. Uh, Terry Teachout, the third member of Three on the Isle, died on January 13th, suddenly at the age of 65. And Elizabeth, you and I decided to get back together for one special episode. We sort of ended the podcast last month Unbeknown to anybody that Terry, we didn't know he, there was no evidence of sickness or anything when we did this. Um, but um, we've gotten back together to talk about Terry and to read some comments from other people who've, who've nicely sent in their own thoughts about him. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to first <laughs> set the, the scene because uh, I I, uh, I think Terry would have, he's probably laughing right now at our sh- completely shambolic um, you guys have no idea, but the preparation, it took us like two false starts on this because, of course, we didn't write a script because Peter and I don't believe in scripts. <laughs> Terry was the one, Terry was the one who insisted on us having a script. And we're always like, we're like, oh, God, you know, we don't need it. We're professionals. We know what we're doing. Who needs a script? Okay, well, today is the painful proof that he was right all along <laughs> because it was just... Oh my goodness, it was so bad. Anyway, but we're on, we're on. We're going to try to pull this off. And I'm laughing, but uh, it's, I, I really think that Terry would be laughing at this too, because uh, what, what a triumph for him to see that he was, he was completely right all this time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, you know, you actually, when you have three people, uh, three people with lots to say, uh, vying for time on a podcast that lasts between 50 minutes and an hour. It isn't a bad idea to have some order beforehand of speaking. And and I, and I and Terry, though, Terry loved to write out a lot of what he was going to say. I mean, he oh, wanted, yeah. but, um, and I, we all, but you and I tended to go off script more than he did. Yeah, uh, we, we forced him to go, he was, yeah. we forced him to go off script, I think. And that was kind of a joy in itself. Yeah, it was really fun. So I, I think we, we need to give the, uh, and I honestly can't remember if we've mentioned this before on the show or not, but uh, I think we need to um, uh, reveal the origin story of Three on the Isle and how it came to be. Because uh, I actually uh, did not know, Ter- I mean, other than from reading him, of course, but I did not know Terry until one day when the three of us were on the uh, beloved uh, TV show Theater Talk. And we were the guests. And I think there was some uh, uh, vastly, uh, I think we pretty much mocked him and made, made fun of his choices the entire time. And he was such a good sport about it because he was extremely gracious about disagreement, and which is very, very key in art and life. Uh, as too many people seem to forget right now. So we had very, very different uh, tastes. And I think 
Peter, probably you fall a little bit in the middle of me and Terry, I, I would think. Yeah, well, what, what happened was we were on an episode of this particular show where there was a meltdown happening um, oh, right. of the original, of the hosts of that show. We won't go into detail about what exactly seemed to be falling apart, but very shortly thereafter, theater talk uh, changed radically. I think uh, we need to mention that this was the show where the whole, this was the show where they unraveled. The, the riddle meltdown yeah. happened. Yeah, but we and the three of us were the guests <laughs> and we were kind of like looking at each other and for mutual support and like understanding it, I think it bound us to some degree together. And afterwards, and as you say, it was almost like a first date. Uh, none of us oh, really yeah. knew. None of us really knew each other. I mean, I knew you only from seeing you at the theater. I saw Terry for years, right? Uh, at you know, seated across the the way in New York productions. Um, and and I, but I, it, it, we weren't really in any way connected except for having the same jobs. And I don't remember the time frame, but I think uh, I said something like, you know, what about a podcast? What if the two of us, three of us did this? Right. And it came together fairly rapidly. We uh, we, uh, we organized a, a, a lunch meeting at a very uh, fancy, very <laughs> fancy joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York theater goers might know. Uh, it's kind of okay. It's it's not the Algonquin. Um, it was the Applejack Diner from right. Broadway, and I think fifty six right. or something. Right. <laughs> Which I'm not even sure is still there. But um, anyway, so we had like a kind of brainstorming meeting at the Applejack Diner, uh, and uh, we decided to start the show. And we had no idea how to do it, of course. So that was a little bit of trial and error right there, but very it's enjoyable happening. one. Um, what was your first uh, impression of Terry, uh, uh, Elizabeth? You know, I mean, I I knew him only from his writing. Uh, I mean, I, and I don't think I'd ever had a full conversation with him before this. And I found him to be, uh, as you say, very open, very gracious from the, the get-go, very eager to share. He was really... Um, I felt like almost of the three of us, the most eager to be in a conversation. Uh, he he he, and he was very agreeable. I never, you know, I never felt like uh, there was going to be any uh, rancor and or, or hierarchical, you know, um, uh, uh, space. But among us, we were we were three people who were just going to talk about something we really liked. Yeah, I think uh, what. what I found delightful is that he was, as I said, he was such a good sport about the constant <laughs> mocking <laughs> that we subjected him to. Uh, like particularly every time he brought up like the Irish rib, <laughs> which was one of his favorite companies and the ribbing would just never stop. And, um, and I, and I think, you know, thinking back about it, he was actually much nicer about uh, my esoteric taste sometimes, uh, which I'm sure was, some of it was completely baffling to him. Uh, but he realized that this was all part of a continuum of art and opinions, and which is, um, again, it's a very, very healthy position to have as someone who writes about art and life, actually, because, of course, the two are very much uh, intertwined. But I think also our impulse collectively, uh, I, don't re <laughs> I don't 
remember us mocking him. I remember no, we no, ripped no, him. No, we ripped no, no, you're him. right. Not, not mocking him. But we were like, we would like rib him, like really, uh, because yeah. it was just so fun to see his reaction. Uh, yeah, also. I think we loose. I do think yes. I think we helped yeah. loosen him up a little bit about all this too. I think he. He might have been a little, uh, you know, unsure what he was getting himself into at some level, although he never said that. Um, but um, but I think we all had in mind, at least in the back of our minds, the idea that what we were presenting to readers and listeners out there was this idea that, you know, people who had this job, this competitive job, this highly opinionated job, which people had um, preconceived notions of who the people were who did this— maybe as being kind of orthodox and uh, not prone to uh, uh, generosity towards other viewpoints, we were we were in the business of showing them that you could have very level-headed, honest, fun discussions about things you didn't agree with in, yeah. in any way. And also, I... Uh we so we had a lot of guests uh, over the four years, and the guests uh, were chosen by consensus. We had to all three of us had to agree on the guest, right? Uh, and sometimes one of us would come up with an idea, and the other two were like, eh, you know, just not it's not my bag, or it's just I haven't seen enough of their work, or whatever reason. But it it actually worked remarkably well. And we did not get around to talking to other people we wanted to. We had on our list because we we actually agreed on a lot of the people we wanted to talk to. And even if there were people whose work one of us was maybe a little less crazy about, we always found things to ask them and things we were curious about. And I personally, just speaking for me here, I found that really enriching when it was a guest that maybe Terry had suggested that I maybe was not crazy about, but I kind of thought, oh, okay, well, it'll be interesting to see what they have to say. And it was always really fun. Always, always, always. Yeah, I would say that one of Terry's interests, and it's reflected in the the mail we've gotten, the emails we've gotten, Terry had a desire um, to... Uh, bring on people whose careers he wanted to see flourish. Uh, it was a, a particular interest of his, and I think that he was he was less interested in journalistically than we were, possibly, certainly than I was. I was interested in newsmaky kind of people. Terry's focus was more people whose work he respected, <laughs> per se, and wanted to give a larger megaphone to. Uh, and I'm not saying that was singularly his. I, I think we all had, we were obviously all intrigued by all the people we promoted to be on the show. But I think that right. that comes through to me uh, because often he would propose people who's who got a favorable review from him and we, you and I would sometimes, you know, <laughs> steer it away. Sorry out there if you're, you know, thinking that it was you, but uh, uh, we, we, we were, you know, we weren't, we didn't want to make it a, a vehicle for, you know, just th those inclinations that any of us had. So we had to be very diplomatic, all of us with each other about who we, uh, we mm -hmm. thought would be good for the show and who would not. But I thought Terry was incredibly generous when you said no, when we said no, you know, mm -hmm. or we said and kindly said, I don't think that one will work right now. And mm -hmm. Terry would just, you know, leave it be. 
It was right. never a, he never, he never stood on ceremony. I don't remember him ever uh, becoming um, egocentric about this show. I think no, he was really was, interested in the, the collective and how we all yeah. were going to present ourselves. And, and also, uh, he brought obviously a completely different perspective from us because uh, when we had uh, a director or a playwright, of course, those were roles that he had played as well. So he asked questions from the perspective of someone who had done it. I'm, I've never directed or written um, any plays or, you know, any uh, fiction. So, I, but it was great to have his perspective as someone who was actually doing it in the trenches. So when he talked about, oh, what is it like to produce a play in Texas or, or Florida? Well, he had produced, he had done plays in Texas or Florida. So he knew what he was speaking about. Mm. Oh, what is it like to cast someone? Well, he knew what is it like to direct an actor? Well, he had done it. And I'm not saying that you have to have done it to be a critic. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in his case, uh, it really enriched the the podcast and the yeah. interviews that we had. Yeah. I, I, you know, as you're talking, Elizabeth, um, I, I'm reminded of so many moments uh, that we had together on this show, both Obviously, the first couple of years in person in in a in studios where we all met, and then later um, uh, uh, when we, during COVID, obviously we were all remote. But I also <laughs> I also remember that Terry's uh, technical <laughs> gifts. Oh my god, were terrible, and we had endless trouble getting him to be able to uh, talk to us remotely. It was an endless struggle, first for poor Kirby, uh, Pate, and then for poor Erica, who had to uh, uh, deal with the, 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 the antiquated equipment. I what, think Terry... What is that Zoom you speak of? <laughs> yeah, we had... <laughs> I, didn't we have to do Skype for a while? Because yeah, we were doing Skype. Like yeah. We were the only people left in the world that were using Skype. Because but, he yeah. could, and he was he seemed to live um, up in some corner of Washington Heights that was like <laughs> the one block that, had, that for which Wi-Fi had not reached. I don't know what he was using. I think he had a can with a string that he had I connected. You know, I kept forgetting to hear that like fifty six k modem like going because I was just like this is this is surreal. Yeah, oh and, you know, God. and we all but you know and. and <laughs> In spite of that, we did it all. And I think, you know, as we're thinking about him, um, you know, it's part of the shock of not having him part of this conversation is, you know, Terry was so alive. He so, he had so much life in him. Um, he had such a, his his spirit was exuberant, even though he had a kind of, you know, a very, uh, um, his, his sound was kind of academic. There was a scholarliness and he wanted to sound that way. I think that's why he, he scripted so much of himself. He didn't want to completely lose that, that formalism. Uh, and yet he was, you know, he could be totally delightful when he was just, um, you know, just riffing. Um, so, so I, it, and I think that 
you know, the the amount of communication he did, not just between us, but obviously online and in all kinds of periodicals, made him seem sort of ubiquitous. Uh, and it's this absence feels peculiar. I'm not even I can't even really process that we're having this conversation. And it's just you, me, and Erica on here. You know, it's it's yeah, it's, it's, it's it's weird. And the funny thing about, despite the <laughs> us talking about his his like weird relationship with technology, uh, is that he was incredibly good at social media, though. Like, brilliant, brilliant. So you know, he was a sharer. I don't want to say an oversharer, but he was a sharer <laughs> of things that you and I. Uh, details of our lives that we don't tend to um, be as forthcoming about. It may have been therapy for him, especially um, as many people out there will know that Terry had a agonizing few years uh, in the last years of his wife's life, Hillary. Uh, She had had, uh, uh, pulmonary hypertension and was waiting forever for a lung transplant, and this basically colored. I mean, almost all the time of the mm-hmm. fir- of the first several years we did three on the oh, aisle, yeah. we would hear weekly or biweekly or whenever we talked about whatever the the latest setback was in this effort for a lung transplant for Hillary. It took forever, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember, you know, thinking, "How is this man working? How is he? You know, maybe work is a." distraction for him from this, but it was fatiguing and they were schlepping to Philadelphia for testing and waiting. Remember the, 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 the false alarms for, um, transplants. And the, I mean, yeah. it was, so, there was so much going on. Mm. Yeah. And he kept his spirit up the entire time. I mean, like we very often, we had to reschedule like when we, we were scheduled to tape and then we had to reschedule because he was at the hospital. And, and of course, I mean, but he's good humor. Like that is really what I remember is good, good humor was just, I really, I can guarantee you, I would not have that fortitude and good, and good humor. I know. I know he didn't, um, he didn't sour on anything. You know, it, no, it, it, I, it, 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 I don't know. I what would be that, in the Barry case, like renting and raving about the unfairness of the, but the, the transplant system, and he was uh, clearly very affected by that. But like his reaction was not to. I don't know. It was just both very dignified and and um, and just very uh, cheery in a very odd way. But I don't mean odd in a bad way. I mean. It's just like re- remarkable. Someone, someone mentioned to me in a note, in a DM, I can't dem- or text, whatever. I've gotten so much communication over the last several days uh, about Terry. But someone told me that the that the podcast was a real was very consoling for him. You know, in times when he was very isolated, both uh, during um, Hillary's illness and after her death in 2020, um, I think he looked forward to the conversation because. Partly, I think it was, uh, you know, when you're sitting alone in an apartment all day thinking about your your lost mate, that's, you know, you need to breathe some other air. And I think also art was such a consolation for him. You know, he believed in art with a capital Mm -hmm. A. Um, It was a very powerful um, uh, um, Mm -hmm. part of his life. I mean, you know... 
And I, I called, I call him, uh, you know, like a cultural omnivore. I mean, he was, you know, m he had broad range of taste, oh and also God, a yeah. kind of, and also a faith in American art, American plays, American. That was his milieu. Yes. He believed very strongly in that, and and had a real mission. Maybe more strong than I felt strongly than I feel towards any particular, you know, aspect of theater, for example. But his was he had a real, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, he carved Absolutely. out a real avenue of 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 what he wanted to to talk about. Well, I think we should uh, we should read. We we've gotten some great emails. We put out a call asking people to submit like some thoughts and memories about about Terry, and we got some like just really wonderful stuff. And I really apologize in advance; we just don't have time to to read them all, and we had to condense some of them because uh, uh, T Terry really um, brought up. Uh, I think Terry brought up the best in people. Uh, he uh, he really inspired people to uh, just do their best and 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 be good to themselves and others. I mean, I, I, this sounds a little sappy, but it's it's really true. So um, okay, so we're gonna read a few, and actually, the first one um, is from someone who was a guest on the show, uh, and that's the playwright uh, Samuel Hunter. And so uh, he was a guest on the podcast in December 2019, and uh, he was there to talk about uh, his show at the time, Greta Clemens. And, and it turns out that Sam and Terry stayed in touch afterwards. And so uh, Sam Hunter wrote, uh, last spring, I was looking for a good spot for a family vacation. And I knew that Terry adored uh, Sanibel, is that pronounced Sanibel Island? I'm not sure. Sanibel. Sanibel. Um, I asked him where he usually stayed, and he gave me the contact, the contact info for a modest beach resort with a dozen or so little cabins. One morning, I approached the surly manager, and the moment I mentioned Terry's name, he completely lit up. Terry's warmth and genuinely love of other people was so enormous, even as he suffered such profound personal losses over the last few years. Mm. Uh, it's yeah, I. That's absolutely true. And there were there were a number of um, similar. Uh, notes from from people in the in the field in the business who um, who developed very personal connections to him and felt a real um, a real love a real kinship. Um, uh, Michael Cerverus also wrote to us, and of course uh, you know Michael's work. Um, he wrote, "There are a great many admiring things to be said about Terry's writing." the deep erudition and wide breadth of interest and understanding he brought to bear in his reviews, biographies, and playwriting. But what struck me most about Terry personally was my sense that as much as he cared deeply about his responsibility to the art forms he wrote about with such skill and insight, he cared even more profoundly for the human beings who make that art. Terry wrote with so much heart on his sleeve, you could barely see the cuff. Uh, that's a great image. Good for you, Michael. It's a great line. It's a great line. He said, I was fortunate, I'll just read a little bit more. I was fortunate and very grateful to have had his support, encouragement, and approval throughout my career, even when I might not have had his praise in a particular review. His was a considered and informed opinion that always interested and mattered to me, whether I shared it or not. I respected him as a critic and a man, and believed he wrote always from a good and sincere place. I mean, you know... This is what we all strive for, right? That is absolutely true. No, no. Yeah. You um, want to be thought of as, as a human being 
who cares about other people, and yet you can disagree with them. They don't have you don't have to agree with everything a playwright. I mean, a critic says we're a playwright. Um, and also, it's it's important to note that uh, we may not always. Uh, write the pos- positive something positive about someone's play or but it's not personal and it's not um it nobody's out to ruin anybody's life you know i, th- I think there's this canard out there that critics enjoy writing bad reviews which is not true at all nobody i can guarantee you nobody likes writing a bad review it's it's just it's not the truth and and really in terry's case i really i mean he he was he was not shy about when he had to write something negative, but uh, he certainly did not enjoy it. There was no uh, glee in that. But I think uh, okay, there's there's a great um, a great uh, email from uh, uh, Carrie Perloff, and uh, Carrie was artistic director of American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco from '92 to 2018, and. Um, she actually, she wrote, uh, it's pretty funny. She wrote about a two-pronged email that covers uh, two of Terry's hats, playwright and critic. So uh, Carrie talks about, said that they were producing uh, Terry's play, Satchmo at the Waldorf, which is a, a one-man play uh, at ACT. And so as part of the production, they had organized a, a, listen, a quote-unquote listening session with um, SF Jazz. Uh, and so the idea of the session was for critics and artists to discuss and talk about jazz. And so she she had spent a lot of time and energy and <laughs> trying to persuade SF Jazz to have the event because they only thought of Terry as a theater critic and they thought the discussion would be about the play and they were not interested in that. So anyway, so then walks into uh, their building a guy who knew more about jazz than, as she put it, almost anyone else present. And so I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from the email. As the discussion went on, the gobsmacked audience became more and more energized as they took turns testing Terry's knowledge of unusual recordings, favorite riffs, and so on. And he just dazzled them into silence with detail, insight, and that delight he felt for the subjects he loved. The moment he was over, he got up, returned to rehearsal at ACT, and went right back into his theater mode. So I love that. And then the, the other uh, anecdote she mentions is, uh, so Kerry uh, wrote and directed uh, a production of, of Beckett's Endgame, uh, in which uh, the character Clove was played by a much younger actor than the other character, Ham, uh, who was played by Bill Irwin. So a guy named Nick Gabriel played Clove, and he was much younger than Bill Irwin. And Carrie writes, the local critics carped. Why, they asked, were in Hammond Club the same age as they believed Beckett had intended and as they were used to seeing? Along comes Terry Teachout. He wrote the most fascinating analysis of the play, of his own sense of Beckett's intentions and of the production, and decided that Nick Gabriel was the finest club he had ever seen on stage. I remember watching Nick's face as he read that review. His astonishment that a critic from the Wall Street Journal, no less, would turn up in San Francisco and take the word the work that seriously. And there you go. And which, by the way, reminds me that very, very, very often Terry would say that his favorite—I don't know—Hamlet club, whatever, uh, Richard III, was from a production he had seen in 
the Wisconsin woods or something. Like it was not was not some star on Broadway. His favorite his right. favorite Macbeth was a, an actor that he had seen in New Hampshire or Florida or Texas or wherever he had been. So there was absolutely no um kind of gradation or like ladder or rank weird artificial ranking based on fame. Right. He was completely the hierarchy didn't exist. Yeah, it was really not impressed by fame in that way. I mean, of course we all love like seeing star actors. I mean, who doesn't? But uh in his mind he really Yes. Rated everybody. He approached every performance the same, which is rare, actually. Yeah. Oh no. He was, and he was a. Um, but he was a. <laughs> he was, yes. He was a. Um, he was an absolutely uh, uh, equal opportunity bestower of superlatives. <laughs> he yes. loved to declare things the best he'd ever seen, and they could be, you know. It could be like, this is the best Rosencrantz I've ever seen. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have to be the the top, you know, the top of the chart, you know, like star. He loved to like bestow those um, encomiums on various people. And you would go, sometimes you would go, wait a minute. Is that really? <laughs> I get it. I understand that that I have to, oh my God, I now have to look at the play again and see what the hell he saw in that in that character that really stood out for him. But I think it was all very sincere. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, uh, there. W- that's right. I mean, he prided himself on discovering the richness of theater in America. It was a mission of his. Mm-hmm. He, At the same time, he disdained our Anglophilia. You know, he he really did not like the um, the belief that that was held in New York, particularly that anything that came from London had to be worthwhile. This is one of the rare things where we were in hundred percent. Absolutely, you two were seeing eye to eye about that. I agree, and I was the I was the odd man out there. I was always like you know much more kind of like oh thank God something from London is here. Of all of all three. Yeah, well, see, this is why we got along, because I agree. I was the more gullible. But wait, I do think we... So let's pivot from these... Can, 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 can I read, like, one more about, like, uh, Terry's, like, uh, mania about, like, <laughs> going into, like, the, <laughs> finding theater in the weirdest corners? Yes, yes go! In which case, okay, so we got a... Um, we got an email from Judy, uh, Judy Rokusin. I'm so sorry, I'm butchering all those names. Uh, Just from say Silver Spring, Bo. Maryland. Rakusin. Um, uh, she writes, uh, Terry came to my attention when he published a, fa- a favorable review of one of my favorite shows that was being performed at a small theater in a strip mall in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. I was struck that he would review in a national newspaper a production at that at such a small theater, but clearly he was a fan of Floyd Collins as well. Okay, so he saw Floyd Collins, which is a very not, not very well known at all musical by I think Adam Gattel. I want I want to say in a strip mall in Virginia. So like the double whammy of obscurity there is like almost. Uh, it's so Terry, like right there. Uh, it's just kind of great. I, I love that. Yeah, you know, he took chances because you know, you 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 know, when you go that much against the grain in terms of where you're go- where a Wall Street Journal reviewer is going, you know, you do run the risk of people going, you know, wh- why? And uh, he didn't care. 
you know, and I think also Terry was a magnet. He was mag. The magnet for him was was the writer and the production and the and the the show that he wanted to see. There were pieces, stories told on stages that he that weren't being told in New York that he loved, especially revivals of plays from, you know, from long ago uh, that he felt were neglected, and he could highlight in the journal that, you know, that the Times, for example, might not cover. Um, and I think that that was very valuable. Uh, so let's pivot from, I think, this wonderful aspect of of his, of his career as a critic uh, to another aspect that astonishes me, and that is the befriending he did of people from all walks of theater life, of mm-hmm. lovers of theater at all levels, who he would take under his wing, who he he would help along the way, who became his friends, who he took to the theater um, in cities all across the country. Um, I'm going to read you a letter from uh, Kimberly Kay. And and um, uh, she her subject line is, Terry Teachett and I met on Twitter. Then he became the witness when I eloped. Uh, okay. No, no, anyway, but I'll just read you a bit. So, so uh, yeah, she started following him on Twitter in 2009, she said. Um, she was an associate producer for Broadway.com. And one day she ended up sitting next to him t- completely by chance at, uh, at a Broadway show, the revival of uh, La Caja Fall with Kelsey Grammer, uh, where they put her at, in the seat next to him. Um, she writes, he'd recently shared a random thought about a popular movie he felt was overrated on Twitter. Disabled and on the autism spectrum, I was, uh, uh, I was terrible at social interactions. So I blurted out, I agree with you, Mr. Teachout. That movie really is crap. Then started to spontaneously combust from embarrassment. Terry looked up from his program, surprised, noticing the queer child flushed with humiliation next to him at this adult theatrical experience and said, well, it is lovely to be agreed with. And who might you be? And from, from that, listen, wait, for whatever reason, Terry gently started to mentor me after that day. He read my arts writing, encouraged me to start blogging and playwriting. When he felt Broadway.com was, quote, squandering your talent, my dear, he encouraged me to quit. Then helped connect me with editors at The Economist and Observer for higher-profile freelance clips. When a boy wanted to take me on an epic date to impress me, Terry secretly helped him select tickets to Falstaff at the Met, an experience he knew I'd adore and an opera he knew a jock who wanted to date an artsy girl would tolerate. What the hell? I mean, it's, it's... It's it's like it's 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 the it's the it's the it's the narrative for a, a like a you know sleepless in Seattle movie. I mean you know it's like you know who does this in life? Who has time for this? Terry oh was and, and and this is not an isolated incident. No, no, he was a serial. He was a serial offender of of kindness. Of kindness, exactly. He had this. Amazing capacity. Um, I, I, I wrote a, an appreciation of, of him for um, American Theater Magazine uh, that's coming up, but I, I won't. I won't bore anybody with the story of my own, uh, his own wing taking me under his wing in a different circumstance. Um, 
after the death of my mother. But I, but, but Terry had this um, compassion gene that was extraordinary. And I, I, he wanted, you know, he wanted to um, encourage. He wanted to, it was like, you know, Johnny Appleseed. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to, you know, make people um, follow him in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I find these, you know, it's, it's, and I, there's story after story of this in our, um, um, in our, in our letters. Do you have another one you want to read? Okay. Yes. I, um, there's one from, uh, a Brittany Petruzzi. And so, uh, she talks about, and her subject line is Terry in a world gone blind. So they, uh, met like many people met Terry through Twitter. Uh, do you remember when Terry's identity was stolen and he was his account was was like hacked? Yep, hacked. So he had to start yeah, all over from again. scratch. Right. He rebuilt his his follower base in like I, I just couldn't believe it. Anyway, so that was really incredible. Anyway, so uh uh Brittany uh they, they they kind of uh, started like I guess uh, chatting on or communicating on Twitter uh, and uh, okay here goes uh, what began as a friendship of the like minded became one of mutual support through the upheavals of life through uh, though thirty years in his junior I did what I could to comfort and encourage Terry through the protracted death of his beloved Hillary on the heels of his darkest days I had unexpected brain surgery that would leave me blind. Terry's steady optimism pulled me out of a spiraling silence more than once on my long road to recovery. He was the only one who understood the specific sorrow of never seeing the face of a mutual favorite actor again. What's more, he renewed his promise to take me to a show and delighted in the prospect of trying his hand at at audio description. I have no doubt he would have been excellent at it. Every word from him was somehow both precise and vivid, as if sprung from his head fully formed and brand new. I mean, that that is just... I know, beautiful. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Oh, my God. Well, here's another one like that. In the same token, Ellen Ciampi writes in a very nice long letter, but I'll just quote a little bit. Uh, I thought this line really summed up something. He said, she said, I never had a closer relationship with someone I had never met. His caring and willingness to open up about personal things completely astounded and rather humbled me. Of course, we laughed together, too, like the time we had an entire conversation about which sleep medications we had each tried and whether or not they helped. Um, you know, uh, again, there's a kind of Charing, you know, what was that, what's that movie, Charing Cross Road, um, with uh, Anne Bancroft and Anthony Hopkins, where they have a communication uh, she's a book. He's a bookseller, and she's a book buyer in New York, and he lives in London. It's something. Charing. Someone will tell me what the number is, but um, it's it's this you know a bill of this epistolary uh, aspect of his of his relationships. He could have these these deep conversations with people and make these really uh, empathic connections mm-hmm. through. Some mute, some something through the air, something ethereal about uh, what he sensed in they that they needed him and, and he needed them. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I find that really lovely. Uh, and I, I think we should also say, um, Elizabeth, you know, Terry 
had this, uh, you know, when you read the obituaries about Terry, he had this whole other life. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously other lives. One of them being, you know, his politics uh, were, were, were very, you know, much tilted toward the right, at least as far as I can tell. Because I have to say, Elizabeth, in all the conversations I had with him, it was never a part, there was no ideological discussion. We never no, had never. a... We never had a, a like a disagreement, or we never he never wanted to challenge. Even at times when I got a little, maybe I got a little bit hot under the collar about the way the political environment was evolving in the world. He never want he wanted that separate. He wanted there to be uh, he wanted to find common ground. That was his. I think but, that was. But his. I I also got the sense that he's. Politics, and I, I agree because I never had a discussion about politics with him either. But I agree. But I think his 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 politics were based on common sense and the respect of others. Because I I know he had made he made some uh, kind of offhand comments. Uh, about Trump, for instance, where clearly he was not <laughs> a fan, um, right. and just. Uh, his politics seem to be the politics of treating others kindly and fairly, which, I mean, we never got more than that, but that's pretty much something you can obviously agree with. I mean, one of his favorite plays is Our Town, and I don't think, really, I mean, how can... (laughs) I mean, he's too smart. He did not misread that play. Uh, So I... But yeah, we never really talked about it, and... uh, a couple of people have asked me over the years, well, how can you do a podcast with Terry Teachout? Because, you know, he's writes for the Wall Street Journal. Well, that is that is just a, such a weird argument to me. Yeah, it made, all the more reason to do it. That was the, the Exactly. The that's exactly why I want to do yeah. it. I, I don't know. It's very weird. Uh, and we had very, very, very different aesthetic taste. Right. Like, we could not have been more polar opposite than just, or taste in, in theater. Uh, but um, I find that just challenging when you have to make a case for why you like something to someone who's not prone to like it. And you have to talk them into it. Yeah, his his conversation was always with the art. It, it was not with the the, the dissenter. You know, he did, I, at least in my experience, he, he, uh, he did, you know, he he seemed to value a well-reasoned argument on either side, which I think was uh, commendable and taught me something about tolerance and the way to the way to behave, the way to carry on both in social media and in conversations with people. Uh, this is an interesting, you know, we, we, we could go on all day, but and I think we should probably start thinking about wrapping up. But I just wanted to read this from Mary Foster Conklin because it, it, it revealed yet another part of, of Terry's um, uh, generosity. Terry and I met online and carried on a 23-year conversation via email. All right. Amazing. I'm amazed he got any work done because I know he kept in touch with countless others the same way. He first reached out to me. See, here's one where he's just got, he reached out after I'd won a cabaret award for jazz vocalist, inquiring where he could find my recording. To my surprise, he wouldn't let me send him one and bought his own copy at Tower Records. Okay, so right there, right there, like, screech conversation, screech to a halt. Because, dear listeners, I can guarantee you this never happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, a couple of days later, I got another email full of high praise with the promise to write about me in the future. I thought he was kidding. He wasn't. 
True to his word, my work was written up in his culture column for the Washington Post. He did write for a couple of years for the Washington Post. In the New York Times, and of course on his blog, his words will remain some of the best I've ever gotten. And God bless her, she's quoted him. Scratch her witty, tough girl from Jersey Patter, and you'll find a sensitive artist, but not frail, with a wide-ranging, boldly colored voice and an open ear for offbeat material. Uh, uh, so she, you know... You know, it, it, again, it, you know, this this exchange, this desire to communicate, reaching out to people, you know, starting the conversation. We're not taught as critics necessarily to engage this way, uh, certainly in places like The New York Times um, and The Washington Post, even, um, you know, we're 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 supposed to at least the tradition was to, to, to distance oneself. I think that's changing. I think social media has changed that. And I think Terry changed that. The expectation mm-hmm. uh, of all these people was that they were in a conversation with him as a human being, as someone who cared about mm-hmm. them, which is remarkable, you know, to be able to do that and to carry on with your job. Um, he didn't have to be the paper of record, though. The, the, his saving grace in that regard yes. was he could pick and choose. Whereas at the mm-hmm. New York Times, yes. you everybody's under the, the, the yes. spotlight. It is, it is uh, abs- absolutely, that was an incredible uh, luxury and luck that he had because he could choose what he was reviewing. And it's, it's definitely very different when you have to go review a specific show because the, it it does it does uh, frame the way you're going to think about the art form and the shows and what happens. So, but you know he uh, he had that great setting so that and he made the most of it. So there you go. Um, you know you you tweeted about this, Elizabeth. So I I dare say I know what you're going to say, but maybe in wrapping up here, you could you could what is it that you'll remember most about Terry? What's the Clearly, his laugh when you were at a show and he was in the audience, like you knew. Uh, Jesse Green also tweeted about that. Uh, the, clearly, anybody who had shared uh, a space uh, at a comedy with Terry knew exactly when he was in the house. And I would think that for actors, it must have been incredible to get that feedback, like instant feedback coming from the house, uh, because there was no way to ignore that laugh like i could hear you from like across the the orchestra um it was wild yeah yeah for me i'll tell you what the what was the most vivid for me was the opposite not that i i totally agree that sound it was he sounded like a a whooping crane in heat you know i mean it was like you know it was the (laughs) wildest you know but um but uh but for me you know i sat behind him at a couple of shows and i remember at 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 moments that weren't necessarily for me the most poignant or sentimental i can remember him heaving with sobs uh quiet sobs they were the opposite of the laugh and i think terry wore his heart to an astonishing degree on his sleeve um when he was in a when he was communing with art and I will always think that he amazingly was able to translate those experiences into uh, into really elegant prose uh, and very and very um, reasoned both and seasoned by his research and history that he understood so deeply. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. So I do think that um, he. 
you know, those masks of comedy and tragedy really um, become vivid for me when I think about um, f- about Terry. Um, that's that's very true. Very true. Well, I would like to thank everybody who wrote in. I'm really uh, sorry we couldn't get around to reading everybody's uh, messages. And there, there were a lot and they were all wonderful, as you can well imagine. So uh, we went through only like a small portion and... Um, but uh, trust me, they were all very much appreciated. It was just great reading them. So just for that, thank you all for for writing and for uh, the outpouring of uh, love and uh, and 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 support uh, online and elsewhere. And I, I think you can tell from both of us, um, it's it's hard to end this because it feels like a it feels a little like a letting go, and you know the. There'll always be, for me, three on the aisle. It'll never be two on the aisle. And um, I just wanted to say that I love you, Terry. Um, I am so honored to have known you and to have gotten to know you. And um, that's it for me. Yeah, that's it for me, too. So thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Peter Marks. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. And this has been a special edition of Three on the Isle. God bless. Thanks for listening. <laughs>